With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. And so, guys, I just want to tell you how excited I am about this show today. Um, This is my third try. We were having some technical difficulties earlier, and now I'm trying to fix it. So you may have heard an echo there for a second. I fixed that too. But we're going to try it again. So (laughs) today's show title is How Many Problematic White People Do the Democrats Need to Feel Comfortable? So I wrote here, please join us as we discuss the current political and cultural climate in this country. The Democrats are pushing a theme of unity and outreach. We can't afford to allow them to brush over what has taken place in this, in this country since its inception, but especially what has taken place the last, you know, um, and I won't even say the last five years. I'll say the last four or five decades specifically because this goes beyond Trump. Okay, so since its inception, while some may feel that the Democrats are going to really push for change, we see that they are reaching out to groups of problematic white people who will never see or accept that black people are human and deserve common human decency, dignity, and respect. How are we supposed to unify with people who are our enemies? We can't afford to continue to allow either party to continue to exploit and marginalize us anymore. However, It seems as though the Democrats are going out of their way to appeal to white people who will never accept them. They seem more determined to find commonalities with people who hate them than with the black people who have supported them for decades. And, you know, you have your brown, you know, your brown people, indigenous, Asian folks as well. Um, The Democrats need to understand that even though we may not vote for the Republicans, we are not obligated to vote for them or vote at all. We owe it to ourselves to forge a new path while holding both parties, especially the Democrats, to account for their participation in our oppression. They both know exactly what they're doing. We can't afford to let them forget about, turn away, explain away, or outright refuse our humanity and human rights. It's time to push back hard. So that is about the third time I've read that today. So (laughs) so thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for your patience. I appreciate all of it. You know, it's it's a learning experience. And my computer, I'm not sure what's going on with that, but had some technical difficulties last Friday, and I thought I had fixed them all. So basically, I need to go back into my computer and reset everything because there's a couple of things that fell off the router, and I need to just go on ahead and fix all of this stuff. I'm putting in a new UPS which is more powerful than the one that I have, but I've just been too lazy to really disconnect everything and do it, but it seems as though I don't really have a choice right now. So I have to take down the server and everything else. So anyway, 
that is what's going on over here. We are black free thinkers, but we are not the Candace Owens and Kanye kind. You know, congratulations to Candace Owens. She just had a baby. You know, congratulations, I think. Um, (laughs) Oh, so much to talk about, so much to talk about. So, you guys, you know how I do. You know, I talk about, you know, a variety of different things, and then I get into the subject matter of the show. So, all right, so this is coming to you guys from my phone today, which I probably should have Skyped in through my phone, but I did not do that. So I forgot about the notifications that comes out. So anyway, your guy, Donald Trump, he's fighting the GOP again. And, you know, this is looking like it's going to turn into a really interesting situation. He's thinking about starting a MAGA party, right? So I guess that's going to be a new patriot party. And... Again, this is a matter of national security, and I need you guys to understand that. So if you want to read this article, what is what newspaper is this? I think this is the Washington Post. The title of the article is Trump Jumps Back into Battle for GOP. Talk of MAGA Party Threatens to Widen Split Among Republicans. This was written by Josh Dawsey and Michael Scherer. And this was published on January 23rd, which I believe is, no, yesterday? Yeah, because today is the 24th. So you may want to go out and take a look at that article. article. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, how all of this is panning out. But it's important that we pay attention. You know, you have people saying, oh, he's no longer in power. Ignore him. We cannot afford to do that. Do not allow anyone to tell you to ignore what what happened over the last five years, that it means nothing because they're no longer in power. This will be to your detriment. It will be to our death if we were to just try to turn a blind eye to this. Um, This is going to impact all of us. And it's also going to impact, you know, working class whites, poor whites, and Some of them recognize this. And again, you know, I caution you all to remember how working class whites and poor whites have been scapegoated by the Republicans in in wealthy, you know, upper middle class, wealthy white people. And Trump was put in office. The people that determined Trump winning in 2016 were upper middle, wealthy white people. You know, it wasn't Jethro and Ellie Mae, even though some of them voted for him. They were not the biggest factor in that particular equation. And that same thing happened with the insurrection, which is why, you know, I know some people are like, well, you've talked about this before. And I know I've talked about this before. I mean, it only happened a few weeks ago. And I'm going to keep talking about it. Why? Because at this point in time, because of everything that's happened in this country, And because many of us, you know, have, you know, short memories, the attention span of a gnat, we have to keep reminding ourselves and reminding these politicians and reminding your religious leaders, your non-religious leaders, we cannot just move forward and let that go and put it in a sea of forgetfulness. No, we can't do that. 
We cannot afford to do that, and that is what they are banking on because that has been the case time after time after time. You know, and again, Einstein said, you know, um, the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over and expecting a different result. And these politicians bank on you all forgetting about these things and, and just moving forward and moving on. So this right here, this is a very real threat. And especially when you look back and you see what happened with Steve Bannon and Breitbart and what they were doing, I mean for you all to kind of think outside of the box with this here. And what I mean by that is you have to start looking at this globally not just what's happening here in the United States, because before Trump even um, decided he was going to run in 2015, I know Raina and I, on a number of occasions, especially me, I kept telling you guys what was happening over in Europe, places. I remember posting about, you know, anti-Semitic march they had in France and what was happening in Germany and Italy and, you know, and all of them other places, what was happening in the Ukraine. And I had people getting angry with me because they're like, well, that's happening over there. That's not happening here. And I'm like, it's coming to a city near you. You all need to understand that this type of thing is, is, is global. White supremacy or the pathology of whiteness is a global problem. And it has to be tackled that way. And, you know, I can really go into details on this, but I need you to understand that what happens over there eventually will happen here. And what happens here will eventually spread over there. You got to remember, you know, and I'll bring it to your remembrance again and again. As I say, trust but verify. Look this shit up. I want you to. And if I'm wrong, correct me. I'm okay with that because this is a learning process. You know, my thinking, you know, has evolved over the years. And so it's important that you all understand I make mistakes. I get shit wrong all the time, and I fix it. So, again, you have to look at this globally and not just what's happening in this country. And that's one of the tricks that they've played on you guys over the years. They have you just concerned with America and not worried about those other people, you know, isolationism, you know, all of that that was taking place, you know, in the early part of the 1900s, which helped to give rise to Hitler and Mussolini and them people over there. And it's interesting because before Trump even came into prominence in regards to his run for president, I have been saying all along that with the economic issues that were that were happening in this country, you know, capitalism and the way that, you know, um, you know, the imperialism and the fascism that was taking place in this country. It was cultivating an environment for someone like Hitler to rise in this country. And, you know, and what you need to understand is some people are like, oh, so are you calling Trump Hitler? No, I'm not calling Trump Hitler. He would consider that a compliment. And the thing is, is that Trump was a test run, you people. 
Trump was a test run. Somebody way smarter and insidious is being prepared to be put in that position, which is why we have to hold those people accountable for the insurrection that took place. You know, um, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and all of them folks, they need to be expelled. Donald Trump needs to be, you know, basically banned from running for any other political office. And I would say the same thing of Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, and any of the Republicans that endorsed that insurrection. And please don't be surprised when you find out that there were some Democrats behind that or hold some of the same sentiments. Because it's all coming out. You know, the insurrection was a story, but the headline is, who helped them? What corporations, what organizations, what politicians helped that to happen? The headline. Because if they did it once, they're going to do it again, and they will probably be successful this next time. There was big money behind the people that, you know, ran amok, you know, their seditious acts against this country at the Capitol. Don't be fooled. And don't just attribute it all to just, you know, white men. You all need to understand that a lot of these people were business owners. They were executives. They're corporations. They were former and current military people, you know, former and current um, police officers and all of this. You know, it was just absolutely just breathtaking, you know, when you start looking at what's happening now. And I can't wait to read the postmortem report after, you know, they do an investigation. But again, they're going to cover up a lot of this because these people were being given detailed information as to how the Capitol is laid out. And basically the politicians were in the tunnels and people were giving them directions on how to get there and telling them to seal the doors and, and to turn the gas on. This should be very concerning to you. That's going to impact all of us across the board. And these people have made it quite clear that they're going after the black people and the indigenous people first. And what I have to say to the brown people and the Asian and yellow people in this country, it will be to your benefit to unite with us. And that includes you know, white people as well, you know, because this is the thing. <laughs> um, it, it's going to be more than just, you know, the hanging of and the killing and the murdering and the, ex, you know, you know, of, of black and, and red people. You know, what a lot of people don't see, a lot of white people, don't seem to understand is that there is a hierarchy to whiteness. I need you to pay attention to the people that these these types of people, you know, prey on and, and mock. You know, Jewish people only became white in the 60s. 
you know, again, when you look at the hierarchy of whiteness, you know, toward the bottom, you know, you have your, you know, white-identified Latinx folks, white-identified Jewish people. You have your Irish and your Scottish, and then there are two categories of Italians, one from the south and one from the northern part. And the ones from the south are darker. So, of course, they're lower on a totem pole. And you need to understand how all of this works. Why do you think they're making such a big deal about Joe Biden not only being Catholic, but also being Irish and the racism behind that? So, again, I'm not trying to necessarily make it more complicated. I'm trying to make it a little easier for you to understand what's happening here. You know, and so, yes, it's not going to be called the MAGA party per se. They want to call it the Patriot Party. But you want to go and take a look and pay attention to this and see who is helping and aiding him in this. So the point I was making to get back to the point was this is a global issue. When Barack Obama was elected president of the United States, you had people like David Duke and other, you know, um, well-known white supremacists that actually left this country and, and trying to be expatriates, you know, throughout Western Europe. And David Duke was kicked out of so many countries, it was ridiculous. And then Donald Trump arose. And, you know, when I was talking to my physician, my doctor, we were talking about Donald Trump, and he was like, I can't believe that many people follow him. He was like, do you think they all follow him? And I said, not necessarily. They follow the ideology. Donald Trump can drop dead tomorrow. Someone else will take his place, and those people, you know, will appeal to that new figurehead. And you need to understand this. So when we talk about the pathology of whiteness, you have to look at it from a global standpoint because, again, you know, they were having these movements across France, you know, Italy, Germany, you know, Great Britain, you know, all of those Western European countries that they care so much about. And Breitbart has expanded. And there's a reason why Donald Trump gave Steve Bannon that pardon. Now, don't be surprised when it comes out that they've made amends. Doesn't mean they're going to be best Judies. But Steve Bannon was the brain behind a lot of this. And you still have Stephen Miller running around out here. And that guy right there, you know, he's dangerous extremely dangerous. And um, don't you forget that. And don't allow anyone to gaslight you out of what you know to be true. So, again, you have these people thinking of establishing a third and fourth party. And, you know, outside of the fact that it's Trump, I think starting third, fourth, fifth, sixth parties are a good thing. We need to establish more political parties and throw the Democrats and Republicans out of their comfort zone. 
but they've set up enough roadblocks to try to shut that down and to crush third parties. It was interesting during the inauguration, you know, how Bernie became the central thing of the inauguration or the takeaway from it, if you will, um, him sitting there with his lovely mittens, his legs crossed, and his paperwork because he had business era of that day. And I said what would have been, you know, even more interesting, I guess, would have been if they had Ron Paul up there sitting behind um, sitting behind Bernie and off to the right. And it just would have been, you know, two examples of people who were screwed by their political parties, you know. And, you know, and I said Ron Paul, not Rand Paul. Rand Paul is a whole other type of problem. And his father was problematic, too. I'm not saying that he wasn't. Ron Paul had his issues as well. But, you know, part of me was hoping that Ron Paul would have been, that that would have been hilarious. So anyway, um, moving on from that, you know, I, I just, I need for you all to start looking at this from a global standpoint, because at this point, that's how, you know, pretty much all of these organizations and corporations are looking at, you know, the state, our state of being, right? So um, take a look. Take a look around. You know, I want you all to look at, at the failed prophecies of QAnon. And it's important that you know who those people are and what they stand for. And, um, you know, again, what happened with that insurrection. So, again, you know, you have this theme that Joe Biden is putting out there. And that basic theme is, you know, unity, coexisting, coming together, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya, right? I got jokes, but it may not be the appropriate time for me to make my little snarky-ass comments on this show. And I know some of you are like, oh, Lord, here she goes with the cussing again. The only reason why I cuss on this show sometimes the way that I do is because I know it annoys certain people, you know, people who don't give me a dime towards any of my books or a dime towards my time, or a dime towards anything, but want to dictate, you know, what I say and do and how I say and do things on this show. And if I haven't said it lately, I'll say it again today. You can kiss every square inch of my ass. So just to make sure we're on the same page, let you know ain't too much changed. I still have my, as you put it, my problematic attitude regarding what you call authority figures, but you're not an authority figure to me. And I guess that's the whole problem right there. I do not look up to you. So anyway, child, let's let's talk about this a little bit about Joe Biden and his olive branch and all of that stuff there. And, you know, Lady Gaga had on that big old dove with the olive branch, you know, the dove. Child, First of all, when she sang her song, it went much better than I had anticipated. But again, it was no Whitney, you know. But again, that's unfair because Lady Gaga is her own person. I understand that. But, you know, that inauguration was um, an inauguration, and I'm just going to leave that right there where it was. Um, want to definitely 
give a shout out to Amanda Gorman, you know, who was the youngest poet to ever read at an inauguration. And lovely, intelligent, beautiful young black woman. And I wish her the very best. She has a book that will be released in the fall. I hear that the pre-sales are off, you know, the charts for her right now. So I'm very happy for her. And, you know, it was interesting, you know, while listening to her, you know, give that poem, you know, um, you know, it was, it was, inspiring to see a young black woman up there expressing herself, you know, that that was inspirational. Although I disagreed with the contents of her poem, um, and that's okay. We can do that, right? But, you know, she did a beautiful job. And so I definitely would like to commend her on that. Also, you know, is there are enough think pieces out there for you all to go and read about, you know, what people disagreed with. And you all that have been listening to this show for a while, you already know where my head is, right? You know, what I'm looking forward to is a conversation with her 10, 15 years from now and have her reflect on the poem that she recited for the inauguration. Now, that's what I'm looking forward to. You know, so, you know, again, congratulations to her. And I think the part that excited me the most was that I was understanding it because that part of my brain with the poetry and all that, oh, yeah, that's a wrap. I have no idea what they're talking about. And I have to call up my RC friends and be like, what the hell does that mean? And half the time they don't know either. So it's just interesting. I thought I had learned some shit about poetry. I'm like, yeah. And then... (laughs) <laughs> Even though I disagreed with it, I thought, you know, so I don't know. I'm had to go and get a book on poetry and trying to figure it out. I remember um in high school and you know, again I went to, you know, predominantly a predominantly white institution, high school. And when they would, you know, have us read poetry and then the teacher would tell us what it meant and I would be like, That's not what I got from it. It was basically told that my thinking was wrong. So, you know, after a while, you get a little discouraged and you just write it off. And that's what I've done. It's not fair. We're going to work on that, you know. So there you go. So anyway, getting back to Joe Biden with this, we must stop, he said, treating our opponents as enemies. We are not enemies. We are Americans. So. Um, you know, again, I'm going to tell you the name of this article. This is on the Milwaukee Independent, and the title of this article is Biden's Olive Branch, Building a Post-White America or Placating White Supremacists. And I guess originally it was posted on The Guardian, December 17th, 2020, and I gave you the title to the article. So, again, you know, this talk about reaching across the aisles and holding hands and, you know, slicing off a slice of apple pie and serving it up to your white supremacist clan member neighbor, you know, um, you know, this is the type of bullshit that he fed Barack Obama. So, the first two years 
that Barack Obama was in office. Democrats controlled both chambers of Congress, you know, as well as the White House. And Barack Obama was determined to reach across the aisle, you know, and, and, you know, find unity and solidarity with people who hated him, not only because he was a Democrat, but because, you know, I guess he's a black identified, right? And there was nothing that he could ever say or do to appease those people. And the plantation politics, they knew that they were going to play with him. Again, Mitch McConnell said he was going to make Barack Obama a one-term president. So, you know, um, basically I feel that, you know, between Barack Obama and Joe Biden, you know, this was one of the problems that took place with the Obama presidency. I mean, it's a bunch you know, I know, but I'm not going to be talking about droning people and the immigration policies. We already know that a lot of what we're seeing today is are remnants of what took place with the Obama administration. So I'm not trying to bypass that. I'm not trying to gloss over it, but there's a time and place for that. So, again, about this reaching across the aisle, and basically, you know, this is a lot of this Biden, you know, basically his his outlook, you know, at least what they want us to believe his outlook is in regarding to wanting to work with the enemy. While we live under oppression, some of which came by the hands of Joe Biden and him and his segregationist friends. And, you know, you have people that are upset that we're already critiquing Joe Biden. We were critiquing him before he even won. Now, I want you all to understand, you know, um, yes, I have, and I will continue to critique Joe Biden and his policies, but I've been doing this for decades. This is not new with me. And what it all boils down to is that I don't like the Republicans. I don't like the Democrats. I absolutely can't stand libertarians. However, while I may not necessarily be on Team Biden, I sure as hell wasn't on Team Trump. I just happen to dislike Trump a lot more than I dislike Biden. So I want to make sure that that is clear. And, you know, in the policies that have been put forth. So, again, this is not personal. I don't know any of these people. I don't know Biden. I don't know Harris. I don't know, um, uh, what's this, Trump, Pence, none of them people. So I just make sure (laughs) to make that clear. But, you know, it all boils down to this. If Joe Biden does the same thing that Barack Obama did in the first two years of his presidency, the Democrats are going to lose control of both chambers of Congress. They're going to lose at least one. And that will happen because they are ignoring the needs of the people in the community about the suffering and the impact that this coronavirus has had on these different communities. 
So basically, if they go tone deaf and continue to try to reach out and appeal to white people who do not care a damn thing about, you know, the proletariat or poor people in this country. And when I say the pro, pro, pro uh, when I say the proletariat, right, I'm talking about working class people, white, black, red, yellow, brown, whatever. That is who the proletariat is, which is why it's important that we have solidarity with unions. And that's a whole different story. And again, the Republicans are not the only ones trying to kill the union. They're not the only ones trying to create, you know, at-will working conditions or, you know, at-will states, right, or at-will policies and laws. You need to think about that and think about how they benefit from that and why. And there's of racist history behind busting unions. And it's interesting because when I had Dr. Jeffrey Perry on the show and we talked about Hubert Henry Harrison, um, he talked about, you know, how Hubert Henry Harrison had impacted Asa Philip Randolph, right? And, you know, he was, you know, one of the leaders with the Pullman Porters out of Chicago. And he was also one of the leaders that helped to organize the March on Washington with Martin Luther King Jr. So there is a long history there. But the black community has always had a relationship with unions and and how these unions have benefited, you know, um, communities of color, specifically black communities. And, you know, you have people out here with these horrible tautological arguments as to why the unions need to go and and how they can empathize with Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett because one day they're going to be a billionaire like them and, and they don't want to pay taxes either. And I don't understand. How are you defending people making $17 million an hour or more? And you're barely making 17 if that. And it's just, it's wild. It's absolutely amazing to me. And I don't get it. Not at all. So anyway... I want you guys to read this article, and it's talking about the so-called moderate Republican, and we've already talked about the Democrats, especially moderate Democrats who are essentially Republicans. We already know about the blue dog Democrats. For those of you who are not familiar with the terminology that I'm talking about, it will be incumbent upon you to go and look this up, you know, what's happening there. And, again, your average white Republican voter knows exactly why they voted for Trump. And you also need to take a look at what's been happening with AM radio 
Talk Radio and the Fox News Channel, you know, and specifically looking at Comcast Xfinity and their role in a lot of this. You know, we need to look at a number of organizations and institutions across this country that help to create and foment this environment, this cultural, you know, and political environment in which we're living now. It wasn't just Christian nationalists that benefited, white Christian nationalists that benefited from this. Feminist movement and a lot of the white feminists, oh, yeah, they are culpable because they wanted to opt out of issues that they don't care about, like Black Lives Matter. Don't let them fool you. Same thing with the atheist secular community. They had a hand in this as well. Remember when they put that billboard up in Philadelphia? Well, yeah, I think it was Philadelphia. Yeah, it was Philadelphia. And it said, slaves, obey your slave masters. And, yeah, there were some black people who said that they agreed with it or whatever. We all know how I feel about them folks. Shucking and jiving for these white people out here. And it was a lot of dark money that went into that. Yeah, you know, guys, I want you to read this article. And, you know, there were some points that I wanted to make in the article, but I'm not going to have time to really get into any of these articles that I want to talk about. But, you know, again, there are parts of the article you can toss out, but there are some gems in here that I think is very important for you to understand and why it is problematic for this reaching across the aisle type of message, just unity, solidarity, you know, all of that. And as I stated before, if your church, your pastor, your religious leader, any of these folks, if they're saying for you to find solidarity and unity with these people, you're being gaslighted. And you were gaslighted even before then. And we're going to have to talk about that and, you know, get into it a little bit. But, you know, it wasn't just white nationalists that were following Trump. You had a lot of black nationalists following Trump. Now, there are some good black nationalists, and then there's some bullshit out there, right? And I need you to understand that. Because there was this this brotherhood between certain types of black nationalists and these white nationalists, which is one of the reasons why able to make inroads into the black community as far as getting a black vote is concerned. And you need to go and take a look at that bromance between white nationalists and black nationalists. I believe Raina and I did a show in 2012 or 2013 specifically tackling this, you know, and I want you to go back and I want you to find it and I want you all to listen to it. We were calling it out before it even got to this point. And the ones that I'm talking about, most, you know, we, we jokingly call them tofu dashikis, but it's a lot more of them around than you care to realize, especially in secular spots. In, in spaces, 
So, again, you know, in this article here, it talks about the 2020 voter turnout and said that it was the highest it had ever been since 1908, you know, and talks about how black voters were crucial in delivering the Democratic victory. And the black and brown youth are the ones that lit the candle on that birthday cake. And you all need to understand that. So if Joe Biden turns around and follows the pattern that Barack Obama followed, and it was the same pattern that Bill Clinton had followed, they're going to lose control in 2022. I can tell you that right now. And what you need to understand from that is when we have presidents, that do not listen to the people, and especially the ones that are out here with these dog whistles and and in their own way, letting these white supremacists these you know these white folks feel as though they're trying to find common space that they understand their woes and understand their problems and their grievances and that they're not going to leave them behind. Black, brown, indigenous, yellow people, you need to pay attention to that shit. And we need to let them know that we we understood what the hell you were saying, too. And we have to push, and we have to be unrelenting now. We cannot just fall back and let everything go back to the status quo. You know, you have people saying that we are now going to return to normal. Returning to normal was not a good spot for us either. And I need for you to keep that in mind. And in this article, it talks about the Democratic Party can't have it both ways. They sure as hell cannot. And they're going to send out their Negro whisperers, their magical Negroes, to, you know, to round the rest of us up and and to try to silence us from the critiques. Do not let them gaslight you. Dissent is what got us to the point where we are now. You know, and then they want to call us radicals because of the type of changes like defunding the police. Personally, I feel like we should abolish a lot of this. But we could start with defunding them. I don't necessarily believe in incrementalism, but it's a start. And um, after these particular Democratic presidents, Clinton, Barack Obama, and now Biden, If they follow the old playbook of the Democrats, the next Republican that will be put in office is going to be ridiculous because it happens every time. That's how we got George W. That's how we got Cheddar Tater Tot. Just different names, different players, and they bank on you all not remembering these things. And so if I have to remind you every week 
start trying to remind you every day. That is what we're going to do because we can't afford it anymore. As I've stated in the past, you know, within the past five years, emphatically, I have stated that black people, we are in trouble and we have no friends. I stand on that. And we cannot allow the Democrats to try to whitewash away what happened on January 6th of 2021. Because that's what they're trying to do. And we have to push the Democrats to remember what happened. Because, again, the only reason why they they found the fence to it was because these insurrectionists, you know, decided to go after them. So, again, we have well-moneyed, well-heeled people going after moneyed and well-heeled other white people. And they're talking about they don't understand. They want to reach across the aisle. They want to find solidarity, unity, you know, something in common with these white supremacists or the pathology of whiteness. And there is a lot of white supremacy within the Democratic Party, too. It's just varying degrees of it. Whether you're polite to me and you're a white supremacist or you're rude to me as a white supremacist, you're still a white supremacist. Nothing takes that away. People out here want to reach across the aisle, want, you know, utopia. That's never going to happen. That's never going to be. And, Lord, I'm all off 45 minutes into the show, and I still ain't hit on a lot of the points that I wanted to. So, look, let me read off some of these article titles and encourage you guys to go out there and read it. And knowing me, I'm probably going to post the links anyway, right? So it says here, this is from The Guardian, and this is from January 19th of this year. The title of the article, Joe Biden Will Launch Presidency with Appeal for Unity, but who's unity? And this was written by Lauren Gambino, right? And there were some great points in here. And, yeah, when I was talking about, you know, they consider us radical and some of our ideas radical. And in this article here, it talks about FDR. Now, what we take for granted now, you know, unemployment, social security, you know, GI bills, you know, um, you know, GI loans, education, all of that, that was considered radical when FDR put forth the New Deal. But what was considered radical then is now normals, regulars, every day. When the Black Panthers, you know, creating medical units in neighborhoods, you know, and triaging and helping people in the neighborhood, when they were handing out, you know, breakfast, sitting these children down and feeding them before they went to school, and a number of other things. That was considered radical. And that was considered normal every day. You know, Shirley Chisholm helped to bring that to a national platform in the federal government. You need to understand the history So what's considered radical right now will not be considered radical 20, 25 years from now. In many cases, it won't be considered radical in five, ten years from now. 
And it's important that you guys understand that. So I want you to go and read it. And what's interesting is they're trying to portray Joe Biden as as the new FDR. And, you know, they're trying to whitewash his past. And, you know, again, they're trying to portray him as a man of faith, a man of deep faith. And, you know, what's really interesting about that is it's the white Christian nationalists that supported the segregation, racism, the white supremacy in this country and center with the Trump administration. You know, it was front and center even before then, but unfortunately a lot of Christians, white, black, brown, red, yellow, do not understand Christianity's history as far as America is concerned. So Americanized Christianity. You know, the the moral majority or the Christian right came into formation because they wanted to continue to keep their schools segregated. It wasn't about, you know, the LGBTQ community or abortion or women's rights. Mm-mm. But they picked those up, sat in front of people, so that they could continue to have people follow them and to fund, you know, their, their you know, bullshit, their white supremacy. So, again, you know, I want you guys to go out and take a look at that article and understand why this is, you know, problematic. And I'm going to give you an article from the New Yorker. Yeah, I understand the New Yorker is, is, you know, controversial and, you know, some of the articles that they write. But as I said before, you know, eat the meat, spit out the bones. So for this particular article, let me highlight this here so I can scroll up. The title of this article is American Christianity's White Supremacy Problem. Again, American Christianity's White Supremacy Problem. This was written by Michael Luo, L-U-O, Michael Luo, and this is released on September 2nd. 2020, again, September 2nd of 2020. And in this particular article, you know, it's talking about, um, again, white Christianity, which, again, those of you that have been listening to this show, I am not anti-theist. However, I am anti-white Christian because I understand the history of it. And I understand exactly what they've done and what they're trying to do, right? So in this particular article, um, they refer to Frederick Douglass, and they refer to the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. And this is one of the three autobiographies Douglass wrote over his lifetime. And so in this part here, it talks about Douglas had harbored the hope that Auld's conversion in August 1832 might lead him to emancipate his slaves, or at least make him more kind and humane. Instead, Douglas writes, if it had any effect on his character, it made him more cruel and hateful in all his ways. And he said Auld was ostentatious about his piety, praying morning, noon, and night, 
participating in revivals and opening his home to traveling preachers, but he used his faith as license to inflict pain and suffering upon his slaves. Quote, I have seen him tie up a lame young woman and whip her with a heavy cowskin upon her naked shoulders, causing the warm red blood to drip. And in justification of the bloody deed, he would quote this passage of scripture, he that knoweth his master's will and doeth it not shall be beaten with many stripes. Right? And so it says Douglas is so scornful about Christianity in his memoir that he felt a need to expend, to append, I'm sorry, an explanation clarifying that he was not an opponent of all religion. In fact, he argued that what he had written about was not Christianity proper, and labeling it as such would be the boldest of all frauds. And so, you know, again, it says Douglas believed that the wildest possible difference existed between the slaveholding religion of his land and the pure, peaceful, and impartial Christianity of Christ. But see, that's the thing. Jesus Christ, you know, if he existed, was not a Christian. You know, and when I read this part, I think about, you know, how I hear a lot of Christians talking about, and by his stripes, they were healed. Because they, the Jesus Christ of the Bible, they beat him. You know, they also crucified him, but, you know, there there was a lot taking place there, right? And in this article, it talks about how even after 25 years plus after Douglas's death, the American church is still struggling to eradicate the legacy of the slaveholding religion he loathed. Now, again, I think, you know, I, like I said, I had to do this show three times today to get it here. So I'm trying to recall what I said earlier. I know exactly what I said, but I don't know if I mentioned that at the beginning of this show. And I talked about how you have a lot of white people in this country that still view black people as their property. And that's one of the reasons why we talk about, you know, the abolition of, you know, holding certain types of property. And we're not talking about personal property. So, I mean, I don't want to get people pushing back on that. I'm not talking about personal property, but just the idea of property itself and what is defined as property and the white supremacist history behind that. So, you know, again, I want you guys to go take a look at it. Um, you know, it's a number of things. And I'm not going to get get to all of it today. But there was an NPR um, article or, or um, piece, and the title of it is, At the National Press Service, A Plea to Avoid Simplistic Calls of Unity. Again, at the National Prayer Service, A Plea to Avoid Simplistic Calls for Unity. And Tom Jelton, this G-J-E-L-T-E-N, and right here it talks about, you know, the people that were at the prayer service, you know, or the, you know, my goodness, and and some of what they were saying there. Of course, William Barber was there, Reverend William Barber, and, you know, he gave a scripture and it talked about wickedness and, you know, um, oppression and the repairer of the breach. 
I'm not going to sit here and try to dissect the scripture because we can do that. And, you know, I guess religion has its place in these conversations, you know, and it's just interesting, you know, um, the role of Catholicism in Christianity in this country and the stronghold that it has on people and how you have people that use their religion as a shield to try to shield themselves from accusations of racism, sexism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia. And these next four years are going to be interesting, especially with all this hope and change and unity and reaching across the aisle stuff. It's going to be a nightmare for black and brown people as they try to gaslight us into finding something in common, you know, with the pathology of whiteness. And where I'm heading with that is you have a lot of these Democrats that are trying to find ways to understand trying to find their way to understand racists, bigots, et cetera, and so forth, right? You're never going to be able to understand that. But the thing is, is that many of them do understand where these folks are coming from. They just don't want you to know that they understand and empathize with many of these folks. And so they use the excuse, well, I don't feel comfortable not including them in the dialogue. I don't feel comfortable, you know, not not trying to, you know, um, appease them and to give them something. You know, white men, you know, no one speaks for them. White women. They have been oppressed, and, and, and they, need, they need their freedom, their liberty, their agency. So what about the rest of us, particularly black people, who built this country from the foundation to the damn Wall Street? And it is still operating and being built off of our oppression. And I understand there are some people who do not understand what I am talking about. I get it. So I'm trying to find a way so that we can have this understanding. But what's so interesting is, you know, one of the formats that I want to work on and have out there. You have to have an iPhone to be on this format, and I hope they set it up so that Android, you know, can work on it because, like, I have three different phone numbers, you guys, three different phones, and I just happen to have an iPhone. And, you know, so we're going to work on that because I actually want to have these conversations with you in real time. And so we're working on this. But, We have to critique this. 
and we have to push back, and we have to push back hard. But you also need to understand the role that religion and secularism played into the current political and sociological and cultural climate that we're living in. There is no way around it. So here we go. All right, child. I ain't gonna tell y'all who authored these art I mean these articles. You can find that yourself. I'm giving you the titles. So over on CNN.com, you can find White Christians in the U.S. Have a Race Problem, a new book argues. Again, White Christians in the U.S. Have a Race Problem, a new book argues. And I'm actually going to order that book because I I really want to read that. Um, Another article, The Jericho March, Christianity and the Capital Siege. This is in the Atlantic. Again, The Jericho March, Christianity and the Capital Siege, and it's in the Atlantic. And I'm gonna I'm gonna post that, but I have to get all of the articles so I can put it out there because it's behind the paywall. And I'm usually conscientious about that. And most of the time, when I'm working from my phone, it's a nightmare trying to copy and paste that stuff. So that's one of the reasons why I haven't been posting a lot from the Atlantic, Wall Street Journal, and and the Nation and things like that, because y'all, I've been tired. And like I said, with the medication they gave me in November. You know, it was a steroid, and that took a lot out of me. You know, the weight that I lost, I gained it back, and I've had some issues since then, and we're working that out. But the next article is Christian Right Council for National Policy Tied to Violent Insurrection. Again, Christian Right Council for National Policy Tied to Violent Insurrection, and that's on Exposed by cmd.org. And again, I'm not necessarily endorsing these particular websites or even these articles, but there are things in this article that I want you to read and I want you to take away from it. And in this particular article, it talks about an organization that was created that helped to fund the people that went to this insurrection. And that's important for you guys to understand, and I'm going to hit on that in a few, but, you know, there are things I want you to take away from this. You know, Clarence Thomas's wife, Jenny, some of the bus, some of the transportation. You know, and I read an article, and I think I must, I have to find it, but, you know, it was talking about, you know, dark money and how they've been moving the dark money around in order to shield themselves from being known as far as giving money to these organizations and funding this insurrection and funding, you know, white pathology. And we we have to break it down and we have to expose them. And we have to make it so that you understand what's happening. And I'm trying. Um, Another article, this is in the New York Times, How White Evangelical Christians Fuse with Trump Extremism. Again, How White Evangelical Christians Fuse with Trump Extremism. And I'm going to post that later, and, you know, I'm going to post it from my computer and not my phone. Another article, White Christians' Voting Patterns Are an Indictment of Churches. 
Again, white Christian voting patterns are an indictment of churches. This is on ncronline.org. This other one here, the case for Biden optimism. The case for Biden optimism is an opinion piece on the New York Times. And again, I don't necessarily agree with the entire argument. And because of time shortage, I'm not really going to be able to get to a lot of this because it's a few things I want to hit on, and then we're going to wrap this show up. And we'll try again, you know, a little bit in the future. And that's why I want to pull up and create that other forum because then we can talk about it in real time and have a real conversation about it. So this other article, Charlottesville inspired Biden to run. Now it has a message for him. Again, Charlottesville inspired Biden to run. Now it has a message for him. And this is in New York Times. Now, what I want to hit on in that particular article, and I've stated this before, and I'm going to state it again because it's extremely important that you all understand, I'm not satisfied with the report that they created about what happened in Charlottesville. I need you guys to understand that Donald Trump has property, one of his little, you know, resorts or golf club communities in Charlottesville. There is a freaking connection. And I'm going to have to look deeper. I'm definitely going to have to look deeper when it happened then. And I just hadn't looked deeper. It was a lot happening in my life. You know, uh, my mom was dying. And, you know, I went home to take care of her. You know, my health was crazy and all of that. So, you know, I have to do better. You know, 2019, I couldn't tell you anything that I really said or did that year. After my mom passed away, I was done. It wiped me out. And this year with the corona, this shit didn't help either. I watched more television this year than I had in the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, aggregated. I don't watch television very much. And now I'm trying to break myself out of that habit. So anyway, it's another article. This is over on Mother Jones. Biden pledged to fight white supremacy. And, of course, you have people like Rand Paul and all them other folks up in arms because Biden used, you know, the term white supremacy in his inauguration speech, and they're feeling some kind of way about it. And as they say, a hit dog will holler. But go read that article. Another one, the racist roots of the Capitol insurrection. The racist roots of the Capitol insurrection. That's on WBUR.org. Again, WBUR.org. Again, the insurrection timeline. First, the coup and then the cover-up. Again, insurrection timeline. First, the coup, and then the cover-up. That's on BillMoyers.com. And that's a really, really, really good article. Um, Over here in Jacobin Mag, I know people are rolling their eyes, and I understand why Jacobin Mag is problematic, but I want you to read this article. 
we should know exactly who funded last week's right-wing riot. We should know exactly who funded last week's right-wing riot. Another one, pro-Trump dark money groups organized the rally that led to insurrection attempt. And that's on CNBC. You can find that. And then over here on the Washington Post, a place to fund hope. How Proud Boys and other, you know, fringe groups found acceptance or what have you. Go over there and take a look at that. Now, I'm trying to remember which article. And, uh, you know, ah, here it is, the one that's on CNBC. Title of that article again, Pro-Trump Dark Money Groups Organized the Rally That Led to Deadly Capitol Hill Riot. Now, in this particular article, I want you to pay attention to, it's a good article. It's a really good article. And, you know, they're talking about dark money and how that dark money has been used to fund a lot of these groups. Now, Raina tweeted directly at American Atheists, and I retweeted it, and I, you know, turned it into a meme, and I put it out there. Now, again, it's not just American atheists within the secular community. A lot of these other organizations are just as culpable, right, and just as problematic for a number of reasons. But there was a reason why American atheists became that organization, And I want you all to understand when I say American Atheist, I'm talking about an organization. I'm not talking about a collective group of people because that's been, you know, one of the misunderstandings. People did not realize that American Atheist was an organization and why they were problematic. You know, they changed their classification. They used to be a 501c3, and that was changed. And it was changed so that they could receive dark money. You need to understand that. And they're not the only organization that receives dark money. So you have organizations out here that are 501c4s and 5s, right? And they don't have to disclose who their donors are. So with this particular rally that they had on January 6th, right before the insurrection, um, and the official title of the of the march was March to Save America. And in the article here, it talks about how it was largely organized by a 501c4 group known as Women for America First. This is why I talked about white feminists and white women's role in the pathology of whiteness in this country. And it says here the organization was certified by the IRS as a nonprofit that can engage in limited political activities. These groups are known for dark money organizations as they do not publicly disclose their donors. And there are very specific groups out here that, that, you know, that, that are allowed to take this dark money, and they take the money and they funnel it around so that they can try to throw you off the scent and, and, and the, you know, the scent or the trail 
as to who the money came from originally. They take the money and they repackage it, and then they fund these groups while trying to protect the original donors. You need to understand who these people are, what they're doing, and why it's problematic. Koch brothers and a number of these other big money donors helped to fund this. America First Policies, it talks about this, is chaired by a white woman by the name of Linda McMahon. And she used to head the Small Business Administration. You need to know this. You need to pay attention. I had to find that other article, and I think I saved it on my phone. I have to go and find it. But you need to understand what's happening. So for this, this article on Washington Post, A Place to Find Hope, how Proud Boys and other French groups found refuge on a Christian fundraising website. You know, um, you know, same thing in the secular community. They found a soft place to land. And we've been talking about that at least since 2012, 2011, 2013. If you go back and you listen to some of those old shows, and some of them, the sound quality was horrible. Blog Talk Radio was on some whole other stuff. And, you know, it's nothing I can really do about that. But I think I'm going to go back and redo many of those shows. I'm just going to start all over again. But, you know, you need to pay attention to, you know, who's part of the intellectual dark web and how they helped to foment this, you know, this climate we're living in. Same thing with some of these white feminists. And also, I need for you guys to pay attention how white feminism always seems to rise and, and come to prominence and, and, and take over the conversation whenever black people have a movement in this country. Happened with the Civil Rights Black Power Movement, happened with Black Lives Matter. It's not happenstance. You know, and so it's interesting how they want us to reach across the aisle and find something in common with these people and accept these people. And, you know, I've even seen some think pieces in which, you know, they were, you know, espousing the greatness of the Statue of Liberty and and what she stood for. Right, and you know it's a Black History Month coming up, so you know you're gonna have people posting about how the statue that was originally sent from France was you know a statue of a black woman, and it was sent back, and they've done studies on that, and they say that that's false and and it was you know the original sculptor, the original man that made the plants, I guess he had made drawings of Egyptian black women and, you know, how all of this falls together, right? But 
you know, I need you to think about something. Whether the Statue of Liberty was designed with the intent of, of uh, I guess, championing the end of slavery, you know, or championing, you know, black women, um, that's not the point. The point is, you know, black Americans in this country are considered as less than. We're still considered property or chattel by many people, many white people in this country. And what's interesting about the Statue of Liberty is that Statue of Liberty has its back to this country while it's facing France, which is part of Western Europe, which is part of that Western civilization. So there was um, a talk here over on NPR and I really want you guys to go and listen to this. You know, it's a talk that they had with Ken Burns, right? And so it was talking about what was happening in this country. Ken Burns was talking about what was happening in this country. And the title of it is Ken Burns Says U.S. Has Three Viruses, COVID-19, White Supremacy, and Misinformation. This was released on January 19th of this year, and Rachel Martin is the author. So it's only a seven-minute, you know, show, but, you know, it talks about um, filmmaker Ken Byrne, and he brought up James Baldwin and James Baldwin's, you know, sentiment on the Statue of Liberty, right? And so, you know, I went and I looked it up, and I found this in a book called The Secret Life of Lady Liberty, Goddess in a New World, and this is by Robert Hieronymus and Laura Cortner. And so it was talking about James Baldwin, and it's entitled A Very Bitter Joke. And it says, for black Americans, the Statue of Liberty is simply a very bitter joke, said writer James Baldwin, meaning nothing to us, right? And it's just it's really interesting um, in that NPR piece you know, how he goes into detail about how this country pretty much has, you know, kept its back turned, you know, to black people and how, again, this country's wealth was and still continues to be off of the oppression of black people. And for those of you that don't understand a lot of this, do some research you know, being poor, poverty is very expensive, you know, and there are a lot of things that need to be abolished, you know, the electoral college, credit rating system, a whole bunch of shit, you know, but go ahead and, you know, take a look at this and, um, and take a listen and you definitely will be enlightened, you know, and right here it talks about the fragility and endurance of American institutions. One of those institutions is systemic racism. And the system isn't broken, it's working perfectly. So there has to be changes. So we're going to have to push and push and push some more. And, um, you know, I'll give you a few more articles I want you guys to read. Over here in the GRIO, extremists planned capital siege, used used radio to track lawmakers. 
you know, another article that I just pushed the other day, the Nazification of the Republican Party. Again, on the nation, the Capitol rioters must face consequences. Again, the true history of American America's private prison industry. Just a number of things. Um, it's just so much to unpack here that I don't even really know where to begin. But what I can say and where I will begin is I don't need to understand what's going through the minds of these white supremacists. You know, we understand more than enough about the pathology of whiteness and why there's pushback on us studying whiteness and how they're banking on black, brown, red, yellow people they're banking on us forgetting what happened or appealing to our emotions and, you know, all of these certain things here in order to be able to continue to push their white, you know, supremacist agenda and have us believing that it's what's best for everybody, including ourselves, when that's not the case. You know, sometimes when I look at this and I see what's happening and, you know, I just get so upset because the people that we get the most pushback from are other black people. And then after it's all said and done and all hell has broken loose and, and we're sitting there, you know, looking at the pieces, you know, then you have some of these other blacks saying, oh, well, we didn't know it was going to end up like that. But there are some that understand perfectly well what they're saying and what they're doing. They want their piece of the pie. They're not necessarily trying to eradicate systemic, you know, um, injustices or systemic racism and, you know, any of that institutionalized bullshit or state-sanctioned bullshit. They're trying to get their piece of it. Which is why sometimes when I see some of these groups and they're like America first, but in blackface, they understand. Why well, can't even say they don't understand what they're doing? They know exactly what they're doing. They're at the very top of that Ponzi scheme. And it's nothing but a reflection of mainstream America, the Ponzi scheme that this country is. They're just trying to get their piece of it. And this is why I talk about American meritocracy being a myth, American exceptionalism being a myth, because it is. So you have certain people that are trying to claw their way to the top, understanding and fully knowing why their behavior is problematic, but they don't care who they step on to get where they want. Capitalism is capitalism, whether it's in white face or black face. And racial capitalism or racialized capitalism, um, you know, is steeped in racism. And, you know, there are a lot of think pieces. People have written books. 
you have scholars that talk about this, and, you know, we've talked about a lot of that on this show. And it's just it's, it's disheartening, <clears throat> excuse me, because the conditions that we live under or live in were created on, and then we're offered a solution and told that this is the answer and this is what we should do and this is what we should allow them to do because this is going to help us without them admitting that they created the conditions, the fucked up as conditions in the first place and how they benefited from it. Who benefits from the fact that there are a lot of people, especially black people, who are not afforded home loans, wealthy white landowners, which is one of the reasons why they're tackling, you know, this issue with, you know, the evictions and the foreclosures because wealthy white men are being hurt and harmed because no one has money to give them. There are black people that own property, brown people that own property. I get that. I know that. But the biggest recipients of any type of monetary compensation are white people, particularly white men. And then only so much of it goes to black people. Look at how hard the black farmers had to fight to get reparations from being, you know, cut out of, you know, subsidies and, you know, a lot of things that were afforded to white farmers and corporate farmers or these corporations that own, you know, a lot of the land and agriculture. I just need for you guys to look at the bigger picture and to understand what's being said to you. Yeah, you have these Democrats trying to understand why Dylan Roof and a lot of these white supremacist domestic terrorists do the things that they do. They know why they do it. They do it because they can get away with it. And the thing is, the things that they don't understand, they spend so much time trying to understand what's going on with these people and trying to reach out to them and bring them into the fold that, you know, many of them will just look past the fact that it's damaging and harmful and hurtful to the rest of us. Oh, they'll get over it. They're black. They'll be okay. Or who cares? And then when I hear blacks giving the same arguments, the same type of arguments that these white supremacists give, they use it on each other. And I've been guilty of that. You know, there's no need to, you know, try to play that off one way or the other. And I've grown, just like I know you will as well. But, um, child, you know, well, we don't feel comfortable not trying to reach across the aisle, not trying to find something in common, not inviting them in and not trying to help them out. But you feel perfectly comfortable not doing anything for black, brown, red, yellow people, but especially black people. So, again, the critiques are here. They're going to be coming. And, you know, again, I also critique the Republicans as well. 
and especially the libertarians. Because I need for you all to understand, there were some libertarians that participated in that insurrection. You know, don't be fooled. If I was, you know, I've been watching this shit all along. And I told you guys, you know, a few years ago about the dark money that was coming into, you know, secular communities, as well as the feminist communities, white feminist communities, and other communities as well. I mean, it was, you know, even the LGBT, the white mainstream LGBTQ community. You have to do your research. We used to lay all this shit out for you guys, put the articles out there. You didn't read them or you got mad because the article was too long. We expend a lot of labor to tell you about these things and to put that out there, only for you to want to argue with us about what's been documented and what is true. Oh, well, that never happened to me. I didn't write this damn book for you. I don't do this show specifically for you. Candace Owens, there's no such thing as racism because I haven't experienced it, Candace Owens. That's what she says. And she all had her number of in moments, you know, inward moments. I don't get it. But again, people come into this on their own. I mean, look at Lil Wayne, 50 Cent. Kanye, Ice Cube, you know, LL Cool J is a Republican too. It's a number of them because they want that status. And it doesn't help that these, you know, mega churches have helped to create that environment. You're the next holy millionaire the next holy billionaire and they eat it while trying to find something in common something in unity something in solidarity with these wealthy white men and in some cases wealthy black men and there are some women in there you know black and white women you know and they want you to walk and again one of the things that I've heard that's prevalent in that word of faith prosperity crowd is, you know, we want you to think like a billionaire or a millionaire. And and you're trying to find something in common with people who don't know who you are, don't care about you, and, and actually capitalize and benefit from your oppression. You've been gaslighted. You've been hoodwinked. I don't even know what else to say. You know, you have some of the same things in the secular community, same thing in the feminist LGBTQ communities. All of that is nothing but a mirror image in the small sector, these little subcultures of mainstream America. So if I was able to find out a lot of the information that I found and I wasn't even doing a deep search, you should find it too. And no, I'm not going to go out there and do all the research and present all of this because you're not going to read it any damn way. It's always a given. 
You know, there are people who claim to have been listening to this show since 2011, 2012, and then I see you talking on Facebook, talking about you never knew what intersectionality was. What the hell? Come on now. So it's just interesting. So anyway, you guys, I want you guys to go out and take a look at all of that. But I do have to make a comment. I posted a meme about sexual predators, and so someone came and made a comment on the Black Free Thinkers page. It was a male, black male. And at first I was going to leave a comment up there, but I went on and deleted it and banned the user. But the takeaway from it was basically, you know, you have some men out here, and, you know, he said it in his response that, if he were to have said something, it would put him in physical jeopardy. And he'll, you know, you'll have some males that are aggressive and physical, you know, with him for chastising them about being sexual predators. And then you'll have some black men, or not just black men, some men, that will chastise them and say you're just trying to cover favor with these women. So they have to deal with that. And, you know, it's interesting because then he turned around and started talking about, you know, bitch and hoe and all of that. And, and, and basically, you know, being an apologist for rape culture. I don't know who the hell you all think I am. You got some problems. You have some deep-seated problems. You're afraid to talk to these men, and you're a man, about their problematic behavior. But yet, in the same breath, you call a woman a bitch. And then try to say that she's the problematic one. Because she does not find herself beholden to every man that's alive because they're a man. But yet you want me to believe that you're a free thinker and you're not a sexist or a misogynist. But the problem lies with the woman. That's what you want me to believe. And then you wonder why women feel the way that some of them feel and why some of them won't be bothered with you, not even as friends. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So anyway, that's all I have to say about that before I start going off about it. But, you know, only thing it did was to reaffirm what I already knew in discussions that we've already had in the past. So it is what it is. So anyway, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I didn't get too much of anything, you know, that I really wanted to go in depth because I just don't have the time for it. 
um, you know, with this format. But once we open some things up, you know, we'll definitely be able to talk about it in real time and directly to each other. So I'm really looking forward to that. So, again, um, these Democrats, you know, trying to appeal to the Trump voters and, you know, some of these problematic white Republican and libertarian voters, you know, how many of them do you need in order for you to feel comfortable? So you want all white voters and a few black voters? Is that what that is? This is one of the reasons why, you know, I feel that the Democratic Party to basically be taken over by other groups. You see what happened to the Republicans with the Tea Party, how they came in and took over. And now you got QAnon taking over. So it should be really interesting watching, you know, the conflicts between the Tea Partiers and the QAnon folks, but they have a lot in common. So, you know, I guess they're just going to focus on that. And that's how they're gaslighting, you know, black people, black, brown, red, yellow people into trying to find something in unity or in common with these white supremacists or or with the pathology of whiteness. Don't y'all fool for it. You know, don't y'all fall for that shit. Don't fall for it. They're trying to fool you. And if your pastor is up there saying it, or one of your people you look up to, one of these evangelicals, or, you know, ministers or whatever, you're never going to, they're never going to feel comfortable because and what I mean by that is they're never going to get these people. They're going to always try to chase behind them. I want you to look into the history of the Democrats and the Dixiecrats and, 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 and get a better understanding why I critique progressives liberals and moderate Democrats, why I critique the Democratic Party the way that I do, because they're so focused on finding, again, some type of solidarity with these folks. And the thing is, is that there is some solidarity, too, because many of them feel the same way as these, you know, these racists, except they want to say it with a smile, civility, being polite, respectability is bullshit. So anyway, look up pathology of whiteness. You know, we'll send you all down some rabbit holes, right? Look up Christianity Insurrection. Do a Google search on Christianity Insurrection. Do a Google search Democrats Appeal White Supremacists. And, um, you know, that, that should keep you busy for a little bit. So, all right, so this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. We'll be seeing you sometime soon again. And I'm not sure when I'm going to make the show for next Sunday, what it's going to be about. I'm not sure. I'll figure it out. Anyway, y'all enjoy your Sunday. Thank you for sticking with us. I appreciate you. You take care now. All right, guys. Love you. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.